All right, welcome to episode 24 with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Uh, I'd like to begin uh, today's episode with a a special acknowledgement, and uh, this goes out to um, J.D. Paul's family out in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, We lost J.D., uh, as many of you know, uh, this past week. And uh, I, I don't know how, m- how many in the, the community knew who J.D. was. Um, you know, I lived in, in Burlington and uh, he lived in Hamilton, Ontario. So, so we knew each other. Um, but I got a sense that um, a good amount of the bikepacking community knew who he was through the um, Blackburn Ranger program. And uh, in particular, a series of videos they did on uh, J.D.'s uh, Tour Divide run. This would have been, geez, I can't remember exactly when it was, uh, probably th- three or four, maybe four years ago now. Um, but JD had, had tried to do the race and, uh, had had some misadventures and had to pull it the first time and then, uh, went back and, uh, uh gave it a go and was able to see it through. Um, and that, that is chronicled in those Blackburn videos that are really well done. And, uh, like I said, we, we lost JD, uh, this past week to cancer and, uh, he'd been battling it for the last several years, I think pretty well since, since he finished the divide. And, uh, it was, it's quite a blow, you know, a nice guy. And, um, uh, you know, kind of one of those people that didn't look like he had a mean bone in his body. And, uh, um, you know, we were all really rooting for, his story and to not only finish the divide, but to hopefully beat cancer. And, um, I was saying to Sarah this past week that, uh, you know, I, I feel, I feel kind of bad because I, I thought JD was in the free and clear, but, uh, you know, I think that the battle that he was, uh, fighting lately was, was a quiet battle. And, uh, I didn't realize how bad it had gotten and, uh, that it hadn't really progressed. So, um, yeah, really sorry to hear uh, about his passing this this past week, and uh, yeah, just wanted to start the episode today with uh, saying that our th- our thoughts go out to JD's family, and uh, I know his funeral is uh, tomorrow. I believe it's in uh, Hamilton, and uh, another rider that uh, will not soon be forgotten. And uh, yeah, just thinking of you, JD. Um, I don't mean to start on a somber note, but I I did want to address that. But today's episode is with uh, Leonard Pretorius from uh, Kamloops, British Columbia. And uh, it's hot on the heels of my interview with um, uh, Jonathan from the Alberta Rocky 700. And these guys know each other and they started their races or their events, um, I I think the same year, but we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, so, yeah, today's episode is to to learn more about the BC Epic 1000, uh, where it goes, uh, a little bit about the region, um, get to know Leonard a little bit, and uh, just wherever the conversation goes. Uh, so, so thank you, Leonard. We'll we'll start with uh, thank you for for taking off your lunch break to to do this and uh, for fitting for fitting the interview in. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, do you, do you got a sandwich by your side, or do you got your lunch there? Yeah, yeah, I'll be uh, nibbling on it throughout the throughout the interview. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So you you are the the organizer of the BC Epic One Thousand, and and last year was the inaugural run. Is that right? Yeah, that's great. Okay, and. You know, I I didn't quite know all the backstory, but Jonathan gave it some of it to me. So you guys had been down at uh, the Oregon Outback together. Did you guys know each other before that? 
No, not before then. So, uh, so yeah, we've been interested in the whole bikepacking uh, ultra-distance thing for quite a while. And I started looking at races and the Oregon Outback came up and uh, started decided to do that back, I think it was 2015 that Jonathan and I did it. So uh, so we signed up for that and then there was a Facebook page about the Oregon Outback where uh, guys who was interested in going down. So I noticed that he was from Hinton, obviously, which is a little bit further north than I am. So obviously he was going to have to travel through or uh, 7 BC or, or southern Alberta at least to get there. So we sort of started talking about maybe carpooling and traveling together and it sort of went from there. So he ended up coming to Kamloops and we drove down together from here to uh, to, to Oregon and uh, ended up riding, riding a bit together, talking a lot along the way. Um, and talked a lot about the, the absence of such events up here, uh, apart from the Tour of Ida, obviously starting in Banff, but then uh, heading down into the States as well. Um, and then he actually, uh, with Alberta Rockies, he came back and we sort of threw the idea around about organizing such races uh, in Canada as well. And obviously he, he moved on that and ended up uh, putting out the Alberta Rockies in the first place. And at the same time, I came up with the route for the for the epic, but not necessarily planning to put it out as a race per se, but rather just as a, as an extended ride for myself. I wanted to. Most of us, uh, as do I, have the aspiration of uh, of riding the Tour Divide. I always say in the, in the bike packing business, there's those who who have and there's those who still want to. Um, so I'm in the in the latter category still, and um, especially with having a a young family, a three and a six year old, as well as a full time job, it's difficult to travel long distances to get to where you, you can do proper ride. So the whole idea with the Epic was to sort of do a, a, a thousand K ride that one could do by not taking too much time off work and having it in my backyard as as sort of a shakedown training type of ride to see if I do that over multiple days, do I still wanna do it three more times? Uh, after that, and that'll be a measure of, of whether the two divide is for me or not. And then around about the same time, Jonathan put out the Alberta Rockies and um, and got a whole lot of interest in that. So I thought, okay, I, I have a, a pretty decent group as well. And if there's that much interest in, in people riding his with him, then I might as well just uh, put mine out there as well and see if, uh, see if it takes off and sort of win from there. Yeah, you just reminded me. I, I think our first contact was... Um, you, you had created a, I think it was like a ride with GPS uh, route and you'd send it to me and you kind of just said, Hey, you want to put this out there for the community? And then, yeah, I think it it seemed to turn into an event within uh, a week or two. You, 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 you got more, you you got motivated pretty quickly and it seemed like, um, you got some rider interest, uh, pretty quickly, which was great to see. And yeah, it looks like you, you've really just, uh, You've just run with it. Like, you're up to, what, like 30 or 40 people signed up already for year two? 37 signed up for uh, for this year's ride. Uh, last year, yeah, initially, I, I put it out there and uh, got a, quite a bit of interest on, on, on Facebook. Initially, just put it out as a Facebook page, and then more and more people started asking for a website. And again, seeing, seeing Jonathan's website, which is pretty nice, I thought I'd, I'd have a crack at doing that as well. So I set up a website and things sort of uh, took on a life of its own after that. So um, last year, we had... 20, I think 25 people intended to show up. And with these kind of races, I've come to learn there's a, there's a difference between how many people expresses an intent to show up, how many eventually does show up. There's a, there's a bit of a difference there. So I think largely we had 25 people intending to show up, uh, 15 showed, of which seven finished. So sort of a, 
uh, one, one third, one third, one third situation uh, for most of these races uh, from what I've seen. So yeah, we had 25 people sign up for the inaugural one, which is, as far as these races go, I think it is pretty good. 15 actually started it. Um, but yeah, and it, it went pretty good. No, no big issues or concerns. And uh, we've uh, ironed out uh, some glitches in the route a little bit uh, from last year to this year. But um, yeah, it's it sort of like Jonathan said as well last week. It's amazing how quickly these things uh, take off and uh, and sort of take on a life of their own. And it just shows the amount of interest that's out there for this kind of thing. Yeah, and where where you're in Kamloops, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you're in a mountain biking, uh, community and, um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with your route, but, um, you know, knowing how many options likely exist in, in BC, is there any particular reason that you were drawn to that Southern Alberta or Southern British Columbia route? It's, it's the geographical has a lot to do with it. It is uh, closer to where I live, obviously. Um, and and it's just the idea of trying to get away because many of the other many of the other races that that we do um, use use backcountry roads that get used by cars as well, which is fair enough and it's good. But the whole idea of being able to ride hundreds of k's on trails that aren't necessarily used by by vehicular traffic and not having to put up with with trucks and stuff going by and uh, and and get away from other people that's what drew me to this. This route specifically being that a, a big chunk of it follows old big commission rail grade, uh, which is is being used as a Trans Canada trail as well. Um, not as well maintained as one would think it should be or could be. So it's still it's still tough going. The rail the rail grade uh, can be a bit deceiving in the sense that one thinks there's no steep grade, so it should be easy going, which uh, very very often it's not. But uh, but the big thing that drew me to it is just the absence of uh, you know you're actually on trail that doesn't get used or is not supposed to be used uh, by any motorized traffic and you can for so for the vast majority of this route you're not continuing with any any motorized traffic you don't have to to deal with cars going by or the potential of getting getting one over or anything like that so it's just uh, that that isolation and being away from it all uh, is 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 that much better so like you said there's a lot of Great backcountry roads around here as well, and there's uh, other other routes that we're looking at, and the, the buckshot that we're putting on over September uses uses uh, backcountry roads. But we're doing it to this route specifically was was that it's a, it's more a trail uh, than it is is roads per se. And you mentioned the Trans Canada Trail. Do you have a sense of like what percentage of uh, your route utilizes the trail? Probably the, the vast majority of it, uh, probably about 85-90% of it uh, uses the Trans-Canada Trail. And it, uh, it, it, it works very well because uh, there is the Trans-Canada Trail being as such as there's all the sections of the trail is maintained by, by trail stewards in various regions. And then obviously they, if, if there's washouts, like there's lots of flooding going on right now, so there's uh, much much happening and there's uh, culverts washing out and whatnot, and there and there's there's people responsible for maintaining those trails that go out and, and fix those issues. Uh, so the the longevity of the route is greatly improved by the fact that there's it it, it is an official route in that sense, uh, and um, and so so it it is it is maintained uh, over time, and that's a big draw to it, and um, and the fact that it it's well documented and it's and it's easily accessible. And uh, it gets used for that purpose all the time, so it's not unusual for bikes to be on the route 
and uh, it is in many many cases designed to have us be on there, all of which uh, supports the race and, and makes it easier. And actually a lot of support from the communities that it goes through as well because they love seeing uh, the intention of the of the Trans-Canada Trail is obviously to be to be used uh, specifically for non-motorized traffic is, is something that a lot of groups and communities are advocating for in BC. And uh, there's a large, large portions of the trail that the BC goes through, although it's designated Trans-Canada Trail, it doesn't see a whole lot of use um, because it's quite remote. But um, but all the more reason that they, they love having us be on there because they love to see the trail being used, uh, see see it getting out there and, and being put out to the world and, and people from elsewhere coming to ride it. Uh, so so that sense of community comes with, with using the trail, uh, the stewardship and the maintenance that comes with doing that, uh, that is great. And um, so, yeah, it just, just makes sense to put it on there. And, um, and it's a it's the surprisingly challenging route. I think I think as far as the Trans Canada, uh, the principle of the Trans Canada Trail goes, it's a bit. I wouldn't really like to say I wouldn't recommend it for a, for a cross bike. There's a, one Brian Kennedy that tried on a cross bike last year and got as far as 330 k's into the race and had so many pinch flashing issues with the narrower tires that he that he had to uh, call it a day. He came back on a on a cross bike plus tire bike later and finished it uh, on the second run. But um, it's not as, as user-friendly, I think, as, as the Trans-Canada folks would hope to have it. It's, it's quite rough and challenging in many places uh, still, which, which suits us a little bit better, I guess. But uh, over time, that, that might improve as well. Yeah, and and I think as as some of us know, um, the the issue of how rideable the trail is, or how well signed, or you know how much of it is on 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 paved roads too, is a bit of a. It seems like it showed up on my radar this past two weeks, a bit of a contentious point, um, knowing that they're pushing to to have it officially completed well this year. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as I, as I talked about in the podcast that I did do with the, the trans Canada trail, like this is still very much something that's, uh, whether they sort of officially say it's done or not, I think it's, it's very much going to be a work in progress. So, uh, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of it is a, is a line on the map that, uh, that looks good. And in that sense, you can say it's completed. But the actual rideability and usability of, of, of chunks of it uh, for the average person out there, I don't. Um, I think that we've got a little ways to go for that yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. I never, I never thought about how that would benefit um, an event, and I think w- with the BC Epic, that's you know having trail stewards and, and more of a designated trail. That's something that's pretty unique to your setup. Like in the in the sphere of events that I know, most of them are on these four service roads that you know could care less if a bike's on it or not. Like they obviously they don't experience a ton of overgrowth and things like that because they have vehicles on them, but you know this is a trail that's meant specifically for uh this type of activity. So that that's a standout feature for sure and um, I, I guess, you know, in, in the, the, the sphere of events that we know out this way in the West, so you have the Kootenai Gravel Grinder and, um, you know, which, which a lot of uh, remote climbing in the Kootenays. You have the Alberta Rockies, which is, a class, you know, characterized by the Front Range route. Um, and then you have the Hurt in Albertan, which is 
kind of a prairie sprint through the the badlands and and back through the front range. Um, If you were to characterize the BC epic, um, how would you characterize it? Um, It's it's quite a bit of diversity traveling from east to west. You travel through quite a bit of of different, uh, starting out in Europe, it's it's more overgrown, more uh, especially the valley heading up to Brookmere. It's it's quite uh, foresty in there, and then you get out to around about down into uh, Summerlin past uh, Princeton there initially it's more desert like so you go through a large amount of different ecosystems so I think the, the most uh, characteristic thing about it probably is the diversity of it in the sense that you, you pass through such a lot of different uh, varieties in, in climate and in, in vegetation and whatnot through through the whole southern part of British Columbia so there's a, a bit of everything in there from more arid um, uh, almost desert-like, desert-like environments to, to more overgrown environments. I mean, I think the other thing that's set to the part as well in large ways is the history that goes along with it, following the rail corridors like it does. There's a lot of lot of old history along the way. Uh, the old, there's, there's quite a bit of signage here and there explaining old things. You go past quite a few monuments and whatnot. So if you if you pay attention to it, there's quite a lot of of history and, uh, and and the tunnels, the trestles, all the things we pass over, it sort of gives you a glimpse into into uh, years gone by, in a, in a sense that you wouldn't necessarily get it uh, riding riding roads or, or anything else in that sense. Yeah, it, it sounds like a fantastic route. And I was saying to Sarah over lunch, like I, I you know, much like doing the Alberta Rockies again, I. I I'm looking for ways to squeeze this into my schedule this year. If if not this year, hopefully next year for sure. But you know, with with it being rail rail grade in a lot of areas and on the Trans Canada Trail, you would think it would be pretty you know calm for most for most people as far as first events go. But like you said, you you, you experienced about a, a third finish rate. Did you get a sense of what the particular challenge was that was stopping a lot of folks from finishing like brian you mentioned his pinch flatting with the cross bike but what other things do people run into um i think that the, the surface is the big issue and i think all of us underestimated that i've ridden chunks of the trail before but i haven't ridden the whole thing until we did uh, the event last year and just combining it all the, the surface of the rail grades often and then obviously there's, there's things later on but initially the first 600 plus case is uh, is mostly rail grade, but and some of it is really good. When most people think about the rail grade, the KDR specifically, which uh, a big chunk of the race is on, uh, the Kettle Valley Railway, uh, most people are familiar with the section between Pinkerton and Kelowna because that's what most people ride. That's the most uh, most used uh, area of the KDR, and that's very well maintained. It's got a really good surface, so most people think rail grades when they see that. Uh, but as soon as you start going going more remote, there are chunks of it uh, from Brooklyn down into Princeton uh, that sees a, a lots of, of ATV use, although technically it's not supposed to happen. There are certain certain uh, regions on the trans Trail where it does still uh, see lots of motorized use. So it gets quite, uh, quite washboardy and chunky and loose as a result of that. Uh, there's areas close. Uh, on, more on the eastern side of it that's quite uh, overgrown a little bit not to the extent that you can ride through it but if there's uh, just a layer of, of uh, weeds and grass that you're riding over that uh, that saps your energy over time and uh, with little little washouts and little rough surfaces 
And that even though sustained grades uh, gets you in the end, because when you're climbing a normal road, uh, yes, the pitches might go up to five, ten, fifteen percent even, but they usually don't. Put, they don't last for forty, fifty, sixty kilometers, which on a road grade it does. It slowly climbs up and over the path and down the other side, and because it follows the contours, that climb goes on for sixty k's. So you're climbing at two, two point five, three percent grade, which is which is not much at all. But on a fully laden bike, 60k non-stop of that, it doesn't flatten off a little bit and give you a little bit of a, a rip. So you've just got that sustained grind against that slight resistance that goes on for uh, much longer than most of us are, are used to doing. And then there's a few challenging sections as well. So there are some some sections um, that particularly the two biggest challenges or hurdles in this race is the piece of single track from um, Castlegar. So once you hit Castlegar, you ride the KVR all the way to Midway, where's the starting point of that, and then you get onto the Columbia Western Rail Grade from there into Castlegar, which is a really, really beautiful piece of rail grade. Passes through the Bulldog Tunnel there, which is a kilometer long, which is a quite experience to go through that. And then uh, once you hit Castlegar, then you'll, there's a few little pieces of rail grades after that, but after that, the, the rail grade for the most part is done. And then you use the Columbia River Trail, which is a, an old hiking trail that goes from Castle Guard to the to the city of Trail. It's 38 kilometers, but it's tough going. It's um, so it, it typically takes people three to four hours to cover those uh, 38 k's, and it's uh, tight and windy, pitchy uh, single track, which is uh, often soft and whatnot as well. So that's that's difficult to ride. It takes a long time. Um, so that's a bit of a challenging section that uh, that many people um, had a bit of difficulty with. And then the, the other section is the Great Creek Pass. So uh, that's on the other side of Kootenay Lake. Um, you climb 1,500 meters, so that's what, 5,000 feet over 16.5 kilometers. So that's almost 10% constant grade for, uh, for 16K. So it's pretty much a wall uh, that you go up. So most people, the average for Climbing that 16k is, is four hours uh, on a laden bike, so that's a that's a bit of a, a hurdle as well. Um, but what I did find actually is most of the people who went beyond the first day, they they eventually went on to finish. Um, the first day I think is where most people got caught out just because of the the surface is is, is quite rough, um, and uh, and it just just the climbs consistency of that and the rough surface. And then there's gates. Uh, in the middle of the route there, there's, uh, there's plenty of gates as well where, where the rail grade crosses private property and you're allowed to be on it, but you've got to get off, open the gate, go through, close the gate behind you. And that um, that slows one's progress as well. So um, definitely not a not an easy route. I wouldn't, uh, and I made that clear on the website as well, that um, it's, it's just because it's, Follows rail grades for the big part of it, and because it's on the Trans-Canada Trail, can't be fooled into thinking it's a, it's an it's an easy route. It's it's definitely not. But with with it being largely on the Trans-Canada Trail, like uh, trail surface inconsistency aside, would it be safe to assume that there's more accessibility to services than say your typical backcountry road? I would think so, most definitely, yeah. So then, and and that's just because of the low, the the communities that it goes through as well and whatnot. Definitely compared to your typical uh, backpacking race, I think there are more more resupply points and more services along the way. The longer stretch that you go without services is from uh, 
Trompen Tikten to uh, to Beaverdell, and that's then Tikten is at kilometre two twenty. Beaverdell is at three three seventy two. So um, so there you go, over a hundred and fifty, a little bit less stretch of of, uh, of little or no services. Although uh, Shoot Lake is in there. But that's really the longest stretch, pretty much uh, less than 100 k's between services, and you do pass through quite a bit of communities as compared to the to the Alberta Rockies. When I listened to the podcast uh, last week, where there's just a quite 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 little in terms of uh, service supply points and services along the way, this is this is quite a bit different. Uh, Merritt, uh, Princeton, Summerlin, Penticton, Beaverdale. Uh, Rock Creek, Greenwood, Grand Forks, Castlegar, Trail, um, Salmo, Nelson, Kimberley, Cranbrook, Alco, and Fenn. Those are all. So it's quite a quite a few uh, supply points, or, or rather large communities with services along the way. So yes, it is. It, in that sense, it's good. You don't have to go that far. Probably the longest stretch time-wise is between uh, between. Uh, Crawford Bay uh, over Quake Creek Pass into into Kimberley. Well, that's good. Um, so I imagine you, you didn't really have to. You said you said you had to retweak a, a few things, but I imagine there wasn't a lot, considering you are using the Trans Canada Trail. But what what kind of things have you changed for year two? It's a little bit coming into Kimberley after crossing over Quake Creek Pass. Uh, we climb up the side of of uh, some single track there onto the side of the old ski hill and there's some some quite nice single track that they've got up there. So the original route I took us up there and then took us a, wanted to do a little bit of a single track climb up there just to, to bring in a bit of variety. But the trail that I ended up on taking people up was more of a downhill type mountain bike trail. I realized afterwards so it was a bit of a hike bike up that which wasn't a particularly fun after coming over Great Creek Pass, which was uh, challenging in itself. So I changed that a little bit just to keep it uh, on the still up the hill and on the side of it, uh, but more just on on easier trails. So that I tweaked a little bit, and then through um, through Cranbrook, um, just passing before getting onto the Columbia uh, River Trail, there's a nice trail that goes past the college there along the along the um, uh, river uh, as well. And there's on if you look at it carefully, there's two different trails. There's one that runs right along the Earl River's edge at the bottom, and there's one just a, a little bit higher on the bank. And the regional route went along the bottom, but that was quite... You, you're carrying your bike through big boulders and whatnot, so that wasn't uh, necessary either. So just moved the trail up onto the area above uh, the trail above on the bank, which should make it a, a little bit easier passing through that as well. And uh, and then on the other side of Kukunusa on Bones Lake, uh, before heading into Alco, uh, there was a little bit of piece of trail there that was a bit confusing going through there as well. That we just a little bit, but um, yeah, that's basically it. Gotcha. And wh- where in Fernie do you finish? Uh, City Hall. So that's a nice, a nice. Nice prominent building makes 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 for good photos on the steps in front of it. <laughs> once you've uh, once you've finished it, but it's a, it's a landmark in the middle of town. Uh, it's a nice place for people to gather as well to uh, to, to welcome riders coming in and whatnot. So that's where we ended. Um, okay, so we've got uh, a few changes. We've got uh, more interest for year two. Is year 
is your job, so to speak, um, you know, I asked Jonathan this question, is your job quite a bit more straightforward this year having, you know, pretty well, you know, you've got the route mapped, you've got the website up. Um, do you find yourself having to work less at it or are you just working more at different things? Uh, I think so. A little bit, a little bit less, a little bit easier. Like you said, in the sense that at least the route is, is done, it's there. Uh, it's it's refined and this time there's a little bit less uh, trepidation knowing that we've we've run it once and it went well and we've tweaked it a little bit but for for the most part the route worked well uh, so in that sense it's good there's a little bit more interest now there's a little bit more uh, uh, people following along and whatnot so it's sort of keeping people engaged and uh, and and making sure that we uh, get the word out there and just keep the stoke up and encourage people that uh, that are sort of on the fence of whether they want to want to get into this type of thing um so so it's still i suppose i don't have to do as much but i still like uh, doing more and uh, maintaining the 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 facebook page doing regular posts and stuff just to sort of keep people updated on what's happening and uh and and keep 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 people interested and 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 get the event out there so in that sense i'm probably still doing a little bit more than i absolutely need to but uh but most of the legwork and, and technical stuff uh seems to be to be sorted out. There's still people there's still people asking questions and there's uh, people asking for information and, and help with logistics and those kind of things which is always challenging. And uh, so it does does keep one a little bit busy trying to help out with that as well as best we can. So you do feel compelled to answer those questions or like have you said to yourself at at some point that you're just gonna sort of you know, just have the website as it is and say here's when to start and you guys figure out the rest. That's the big question. So how how far do you take it in, in that sense? Because that's what happened with the, the, the Tour Divide website. If you go on there now, it hasn't been updated for a long time. So it's sort of uh, the, the organizers of the, the Tour Divide, from what I can see, sort of took it to a point and said, okay, now this thing has a, has a life of its own and we'll just uh, let it be. And, and obviously it's going strong uh, on its own. So it's always, a, always that big question as a race organizer when you get to when you get to a point where you say, okay, I've, um, it, it's out there now, it's sort of uh, established enough that it can it can sustain itself, which this kind of race and, and this type of backpacking, unofficial underground races that we do have the potential of becoming self-sustaining, uh, more so than any other type of, of, of race out there, which always, each organization, um, this, this, this type of race format actually has it, the potential to be to be self-sustaining in that sense, which is what we're seeing with it with the Twitter divide. So, how long do you keep engaged for, and and how far do you want to go? That I guess that varies from from organizer to organizer, and, and that's something that will take from year to year. At this point, I'm still I'm still very much invested and and, and passionate about the route, and I think that's going to remain the, the case for a while. And I, I love seeing people coming out and writing it, and I love uh, helping people to do so. So at this stage, I'm still quite engaged and, and, and more than willing to get to help people out with logistics and, and help get more people out on the route and, and uh, get into get into bike packing and, uh, and and promote the, the the discipline of the format in general. But my, my route specifically as well, because I think it's a it's a it's a pretty good one. It's a unique in in, in many ways and it offers unique scenery and uh, and a unique perspective that I think uh, very few others do in the way that this route does. So, um, so yeah, at this point, my intention is to, to remain engaged, keep the website up, and, and, and keep helping people and provide information as, as, as much as I can. 
And then as, as the year goes by, from year to year, I guess we'll uh, we'll see where life takes us and what happens. And uh, hopefully, it'll 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 get to a point where it where it would be self-sustaining. But where I would ever fully disengage from it, I'm not sure. Well, it seems that you're liking it so much right now that you you even created a second event that we haven't even mentioned the the buckshot. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. One? So that's uh, that's one of the challenges with these type of events, with BC Epic specifically, that I've heard from people uh, who's who's wanting to do it, is it's always challenging the logistics of it. So the Epic specifically being a thousand kilometers or eleven hundred, um, it does take most people quite a while to finish that. Um, so you can't just do it over a weekend or a long weekend. You need to take a week off work and away from family in order to to time wise be able to to fit it in and do it. Which is a bit of a commitment, especially for for in our busy life uh, lives these days, and in the logistics of a point-to-point race is a bit challenging as well. Same as with uh, with the Epic and many of the other races, you start in one place, you finish a thousand k's down the route, so now you have to get back to where your car is at the start, or uh, you've got to make some arrangements to get to where you need to go again. Uh, so the logistics and the timing of it is is a bit challenging, and that's a hurdle for many people to get into these kind of races and do the, the epic in particular uh, I've encountered those feedback so I thought I'd uh, put on a, a, a more a local race uh, so it's out of out of town specifically and then make the distance a little bit shorter so as to enable people to do it over a long weekend and make it a loop to simplify the logistics as well so that's where people just need to get to town and you can leave your car here or whichever way you get here, do the loop and end up back where you started. So from a logistic point of view, that makes it a lot easier. And by keeping the distance shorter, um, we can fit it into uh, into a long weekend. So the, the Labor Day weekend is the one I've got put down for a, for the buckshot. And uh, and there'll be two versions. There'll be the single barrel. That's a two, 300 kilometer, 282 kilometer with 4,000 meters of timing. Um, so if you're a 100 tape type of type uh under per day type of guy then that's that's the one you go for because you want to finish it within the within the weekend and then um and then there's the the double barrel which is a 600 pace which is 582 pace with uh eight thousand timing um this one's more not not so much not much single track at all uh mostly uh, backcountry forest service roads but uh, there's a lot of great scenery in this uh, this part of the world uh great lakes rivers and stuff um, so, so we've sort of routed it through there. So if you're a 200 pace a day or more kind of guy, then you do that. Then you do the 600. But the idea is that you started on the Saturday morning and that uh, everybody finishes by the Monday. Um, obviously, you can stay out there longer. There's no, no, no official start and finish times to any of these routes. But the idea is that it's sort of a, a weekend thing and everybody gathers. I've got one of the local bike shops, a district bicycle company, uh, that's a signed on and you're supporting it as well so the idea would be that we sort of have a central hub from which we'd run the race so the race will start there we'll have the track leaders going there so everybody can watch starts and cheer people on and whatnot and then that's sort of a central the race with the route would end there as well uh, so people will be hanging around there having beers and cheering people on as they come in so it'll just be sort of a, a hangout for the whole weekend for people coming in and, uh, and supporters and whatnot so and that's the other advantage of having it sort of centralized around the community is the fact that you can sort of have that local support and you can have a, a, a gathering place and get the community more involved in it as well. 
Yeah, I'm just looking at the website here. It shows, uh, am I reading this right, uh, September 2nd to 4th? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So that's the Labor Day long weekend. So the Monday is a, a holiday, so that gives us an extra day to, to be out there riding. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, maybe oh, that one looks like it might be doable for me because that, you know, what I could do is actually ride from that back to Canmore for the for the summit, conveniently enough. So that will be middle September. So that might actually work. What's, uh, what's, uh, has, what, what has interest been like for that one? Um, it's pretty good. Up until now, we have uh, 13 people that uh, that uh, that signed up and expressed interest, and um, most many of them locals uh, out of Cambridge. And and part of our writing, local writing community is a few people from the Kootenays that expressed uh, interest in coming as well. Uh, a few people from the Lower Mainland that's going to come up, uh, San Campbell, which uh, ride ride rode the epic last year as well. Um, so I think uh, Tom DeFries uh, is coming as well. Which is, uh, he's going to be uh, the single speed challenger, so uh, he'll set the record. So, um, so no, we've got quite a bit of good, good interest. At this point, I think about 13 or 15. I'm, I haven't put up a, an official list of that yet, but there's quite a bit of interest. In, and so I'm hoping to get a, a pretty good turnout uh, for that. And like I said, I've, I've specifically uh, designed the race to be, to be logistically easier and shorter so that we can get more people uh, to, to, to be able to do it if they, if they so desire. Good, good. And uh, so you were saying kind of when all this started that um, it was to give you a bit of a sense on, you know, how things would compare to riding the, the divide route. You know, now with some experience under your belt, uh, is that a goal that's come more into the forefront? Or, you know, are you would you rather just focus on your, your own events? Like, where are you at with the divide? No, that's definitely still in the still in the on on the radar. So I'm at this point. The hope is to to maybe take it on next year. Um, I, like I said, I've got a, a young family and a, and full time job, and all of those kind of things always affects one's uh, plans. So if I would ha- if I had my way, I would be I would be riding it next year. That's definitely the plan for now to do the divide next year. But uh, we'll have to see how things turn out with the family and and work and all those type of things. But uh, I will be riding it. There's no doubt about that. It's just a question of whether it's uh, probably next year or the year thereafter. That's the plan. Excellent. Well, all that talk about rail grades, I, I had a bit of a smirk in my face, and, and not to uh, you know downgrade at all the challenge of the BC Epic, which it does sound very challenging. But when uh, when you're doing the the Great Divide route, and um, you know, especially if you're following the adventure cycling maps, and they uh, reference your next climb as a rail grade climb, it. It's it's a bit of a relief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it would be good good training for sure. Um, so that's cool. And then, um, okay, so so you're going to be the competition uh, for 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 next year because I'm heading back, and it sounds like a bunch of us are. Uh, so we, we won't be able to be friends next year, but uh, this year we will keep building these things and uh, look forward to having you at <laughs> the summit. I doubt very much. I, I doubt very much. I'd be close to you, uh, Ryan. So you too, you'd be safe. No, I, I'd like to think I won't blow up my knees again, but uh, you, never, <laughs> you never know when ego will get the best of you on those climbs. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Happens easily. Yeah, so, okay, so you got the Buckshot, uh, so that's uh, uh, early September. You've got uh, the PC Epic, uh, so that's late June, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and uh, people can go to uh, bcepic1000.com uh, if they want to learn more. 
And then yeah. uh, let's see what else. And we got. The, but the Bucks, uh, there's a page for the Bucks out on there as well. Um, I'm still busy updating services on the map and and sort of developing the Buckshot. Um, but there's a, these the maps are on there and there's sort of the the summary of what it's all about and what the idea is. So there's a, there's a good starting point on the website at least. Yeah, and I was just looking at the maps, and I, it might be a good excuse to go visit my parents. They live out on the shoe shop, so uh, it would be a good good excuse to get out that way. I will give it a look. Yeah. Um, There's definitely some great riding to be had, some spectacular lakes and uh, waterfalls and things that uh, that the route goes by. Awesome. So it's definitely a worthwhile ride. Yeah, and and if 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 there's interest to to do a BC bikepacking uh, guidebook, um, you know, once the the next one comes out, I, I want to definitely have a leg up on better understanding some of those regions. So, for sure, um, cool. Well, uh, next up, uh, well, you mentioned that you, you're about to take off this this weekend. Why don't you tell us about where you're headed? Yeah, so we're uh, we're heading down to ride the cross Washington mountain bike route. So that's uh, down in Washington, starts on the Pacific Ocean in uh, La Push on Sunday morning, seven o'clock. Supposedly we have to have a wheel or a body part in the water at seven in the morning, and then we take off and uh, and race across the province uh, eastwards to the Idaho border, and uh, first to the Idaho border wins. So that's uh, organized and put on by Troy Hopwood out of uh, Seattle. He's uh, well, he came up yes last year to ride um, ride uh, the epic as well. He was actually leading most the first day up to Penticton and then developed some uh, stomach issues and whatnot. And unfortunately, they had to drop out of the race. But uh, he was nice enough to come up and, and take part in the inaugural uh, BC epic. So uh, so this year he's organizing his own race, which is the Cross Washington. So I thought I'd uh, return the favor and head down there and, and take on his route. So it looks like a like a pretty pretty nice spectacular route. It's uh, eleven thousand kilometers or uh, eleven hundred as well, one thousand one hundred. Um, with uh, 1,600 meters of climbing over a few passes uh, from the Olympic Peninsula across Washington to the Idaho border. So it uh, looks like fun. So uh, so myself, Alan Nibbs, who uh, from Kimberley, who I wrote the epic last year, um, fourth-place finisher, he's going down as well. Chip, uh, Chip Andrus from... Um, from Spokane, he was second place finisher in the Epic last year. He's going to head out there as well. Uh, Ed Person rode the Epic last year. Um, he's going to be doing it as well. So, the, and then Troy himself, obviously. So there's a few of us heading down. Uh, last count, I think Troy had 30 odd people intending to show up as well. So, um, see, there's 15 people up on on track leaders now. So there'll be at least that many. So it uh, should be a good ride. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm uh, just looking at the time here. We're, we're we're coming up on about 45 minutes, so I will I will let I will spare you the last 15 minutes to finish your sandwich or whatever else you got for lunch. And uh, um, thank you. It's it's I I kind of purposely didn't. Uh, do a ton of research uh, on the race you know I, of course i knew about it and had looked at the the website uh you know last year when you got it going and, and we had you at the summit to talk about it but um, i hadn't looked at it in a while because i knew we'd have this discussion and uh, it was a good refresher and um i think in particular to talk about some of the regions i think that's good and um and and is it safe to assume that people can still sign up for it yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can uh, sign up till the very day if you just show up on the day. So 7 a.m. at uh, the Rotary Park in Merritt on the 24th of June if you're there, you're riding. 
And then obviously, uh, as with any other race, you can do an ITT at any time as well. So if people do want to do that, they can just contact me. I'll be happy to uh, either through the website or uh, the Facebook page, which there's a link to on the website. Uh, people can contact me at any stage. I'll be happy to help out with uh, logistics and advice as well as I can. If there's people who want to do ITT and have that tracked, I'm sure I can speak to uh, to the track leaders guys. They're really good with, with all of that as well. So um, that uh, track leaders would probably plan is that they'd be tracking the buckshot as well so we'll have that uh, up on tracking and uh, and yeah like Jonathan mentioned as well we him and I have been uh, talking a little bit about maybe combining the two routes seeing that they start and end so close to, together and you mentioned maybe doing the loop into the flathead there as well so those are those are all exciting ideas that we'll uh, we'll get into Excellent. Well, uh, thank you for your work behind the scenes. And, you know, a lot of us were all putting volunteer hours into this and it's a, uh, it's a passion project, but it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see everyone's respective energies working in, in different ways. And, um, I will get out there at some point and, um, you know, for those for those uh, that, that don't know the area, the, the the regions that we talked about, they're they're pretty famous or well known cycling uh, regions. The the Kettle Valley uh, Rail route in particular, and um, not to be missed if you want to explore BC. So th- thank you for telling us a little bit more about it, Leonard. And um, yeah, uh, it's been great to get to know you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the summit again this year. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll uh, most definitely be there, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Ryan. Cool. We'll get back to your lunch, okay? Sounds great. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, sir. Have a good day. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks, Ryan.